You're listening to the Wordslinger Podcast, episode 121, Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Data, with Brian Meeks. This episode of the Wordslinger Podcast is brought to you by draft to digital Convert your manuscript, distribute it online, and get support the whole way at DraftToDigital.com. It's the Wordslinger Podcast, where story matters. Build your brand, write your book, redefine who you are. It's all about the story here. What's yours? Now, here's the guy who invented pants optional, Kevin Tomlinson, the Word Slinger. Word Slinger. Hey, everybody, this is Kevin Tomlinson, the Word Slinger. I appreciate you tuning in uh, again. Uh, this is what, week? Uh, I don't know. It's been several years now, right? <laughs> It has been at least two years. I know that. It's been at least a couple of years. Um, actually, let me think back. I think I started the show back in 2014, so three years. Wow. Pretty wow. Uh, speaking of years and anniversaries, um, I realized this morning that uh, completely unregarded, I didn't even pay attention, but I have actually been with draft to digital for, for a solid year as of this month. Actually, as of... Um, July 1st, really. <clears throat> so uh, a full year at draft to digital as their director of marketing. It's been, uh, man, it's been incredible. Uh, these guys, okay. I mean, first of all, <laughs> before I ever set foot in the uh, draft to digital offices, uh, I was already a big fan of the company and what they do. And the reason is um, I'm, I'm very big. I, I, I want to be a part of things that are out there helping to boost and build the indie author community. You know, anything that nurtures someone from that will be author state to the uh, published and successful state. You know, that's that's something I've always wanted to be a part of. Uh, and it was very exciting to me when uh, when I talked to these guys and they were interested in bringing me on board and, you know, inviting me to come on. And so it's been <clears throat> it's been an incredible year. Um, you know, we've done a lot in the community in that year. Uh, I've, I've met a lot more indie authors in that time, connected with a lot more of you guys um, at conferences and events and that sort of thing. I, I've seen my own career, you know, it's changed. Uh, you know, my own writing career has changed somewhat. I'm still doing pretty well. I'm still, you know, I'm getting even better. So I think uh, it's just been an incredible year all around. I'm so grateful for you know, everything that uh, Draft Digital does for the community, you know, the community I'm a part of. Uh, but I'm just grateful to be a part of that and to uh, contribute. So if you haven't tried out draft to digital yet, uh, if you are an author, uh, if you just want to be an author and you don't know where to start, uh, reach out. We can help you. I, you know, this is not really meant to be a sales pitch, but we have all these free services and resources that are just they're built for you. <laughs> I mean, we uh, we just uh, announced our partnership as of this week. Uh, on July 18th this week, we um, have now officially launched the partnership with Find A Way for Voices, where uh, if you come on as a draft digital author, um, even if you don't use us for distribution, you come in through us, you can skip the $49 admin fee. And that's a standard fee that they charge um, everyone normally. So that's an advantage if you come in through D2D. Uh, definitely check that out. If you don't know what that is, uh, Find A Way Voices is now an alternative to ACX. 
and and the uh, uh, Audible's little uh, program there, the Audible Content Exchange is what ACX uh, stands for. Um, <clears throat> Voices is going to allow you, as an independent author, to function much more like you do in the ebook world. Uh, the same sort of distribution pathway uh, to all these different distributors worldwide, and complete control over your uh, intellectual property, which is fantastic. Uh, something you don't normally get from uh, from Audible, really. Uh, you can you can o you can own your uh, your content in Audible, but you don't get to control your price, which you do get to do with Findaway Voices. And man, I'm telling you, this is going to be a game changer. Um, we uh, <laughs> the way I the way I build this, the way I talk about this uh, everywhere else, and here uh, is that controlling your price is going to allow you to do a lot more than you could otherwise. Uh, you can sell shorter works. Because right now, people on Audible, uh, you know, they get their credits. They're not gonna, they're not gonna waste a credit on your one-hour novella. <laughs> I'm sorry, but they're not, and they're not gonna pay thirty-five dollars for it either. Which is, you know, uh, Audible likes to price uh, the books, you know, twenty-five bucks, thirty-five bucks, you know, whatever, and they're. And uh, they control that pricing. Um, they still do, actually, on Audible. They're going to still control their pricing. Uh, but we're looking to break that and break that um, credit system, that credit model that they use, uh, so that now you could, you know, price, do some serials, do some, you know, take some serialized fiction and throw it up there, a bunch of short stories or novellas, uh, link them all together, and uh, do what you do in eBooks. Put the first one up there for free. You can price all the way down to zero with. Uh, with find a way so that's a good model i think i mean it's one that's worked for the um <clears throat> the ebook industry for a very long time you know you got your top of funnel you know your funnel offer that uh gets gets the uh, reader hooked on your work and uh from there you know you put your ctas in and you lead to the next and the next and the next and then before you know it uh you've got a reader for life now <clears throat> there's more overhead with audiobooks and with um find a way you're going to you know with voices you're you're going to have to be on the hook for that overhead but man let me tell you behind the scenes the conversations we have we are working so hard to get the price down <laughs> to get the overhead down so that uh you know instead of thousands and thousands of dollars it might be hundreds of dollars that you spend uh you know but really if you're paying 1500 to three grand on a uh, on a title uh that is kind of expensive for a lot of authors i i, I fully agree with that i acknowledge that um I feel that way too. You know, it's a lot of money to shell out, uh, especially with no guarantees of return. However, uh, you will own all the rights to your book. All you're not you're not sharing part of the royalty with someone for the uh, lifetime of that book, and that means that you can recoup your investment much faster. So, you know, the the risk, and every business has it. Every business has a risk, right? But the risk is that you won't uh, get those funds back. Uh, in a timely manner, if at all. So, you know, that's the gamble, you know, that's, that's part of doing business, but savvy people, savvy business owners know that there's always that risk. Uh, you can mitigate that. You can plan around it, do, you know, formulate a marketing plan, uh, get a strategy for your career going. Audiobooks make a great addition to that. And it's wide open right now. It's like the wild west right now, folks. I'm serious. <laughs> this is not, there's never been a better time to be an indie author. I'm telling you, uh, you know, this is as close to being able to go back in time to the, uh, those halcyon days of the Kindle gold rush era 
<laughs> this is as close as you're going to get. Uh, so you, you really should consider audiobooks. Even if you don't go through Find Away Voices and Draft to Digital, I get that if you want to do a royalty split, but it's getting tough to get those narrators, the good quality narrators, to do a royalty split. I mean, it's getting. It's getting insanely tough. Um, finding somebody who's reliable, finding somebody who's actually got the talent. Uh, but more importantly, when you do an audiobook, you don't just want somebody who sounds good. This is, it's sort of like the covers. Uh, if you get a cover, you don't just want a pretty picture, and you don't necessarily want a, uh, an image that's just telling the story of your book. You want an image that works with the genre and, and works to uh, attract the reader of that genre, right? Well, when it comes to uh, audiobooks, you want a narrator who has his own following or her own following um, because that will help promote your book. So doing the uh, partnerships has, has a great idea, but it's better if you're going to do a royalty split like that, it's better for you to go out and do the legwork and find a narrator who believes in you as much as you believe in them and uh, bring your audiences together. You know, Spend the time building up that platform so just like you would do if you were going to pitch to an agent or someone else, uh, honestly, is you're going to go to this, you know, this narrator and say, look, I don't have $3,500 to give you, but I, I could give you, you know, $1,200 <laughs> or, or whatever and uh, and 50% royalty on the book. Um, and I can here's here are my projections. You know, here's how many people are on my list, how many people bought my books you know, over the past six months, how many people have said to me, you know, through this informal survey that, yes, if there was an audiobook available, I would buy it. Here's, you know, or here's the number of pre-orders I've gotten for an audiobook, you know. You can use, uh, leverage your, your data, basically, to get these guys on board, get these guys and gals, get these, uh, these fine people, these fine narrators. I, I'm trying not to be sexist here, okay, <laughs> but to get these talented people on board uh, who have um, audiences of their own. And don't just settle either. I mean, go out and, you know, strike up deals with people who can help you as much as you help them. And that that's a good way to run your business. So <clears throat> we're 10 minutes in. And speaking of data, uh, I'm talking to today Brian Meeks, Brian D. Meeks, because there's another Brian Meeks author out there, but Brian D. Meeks, who, uh, among other things, he's he's the author. Of, he's he's written some pretty cool and funny and quirky books out there, uh, but he's been doing a lot of stuff like uh, the Prosperous Writer's Guide to Making More Money, which he co-authored with uh, Honoré Quarter, a former guest. Brian himself is a former guest of the show. Uh, if you don't remember, he was on episode, man, way, way back. He was like episode 49, uh, Above Extremely Average Indie Publishing with Brian D. Meeks. That episode is, you'll find it in your show notes, uh, and is a classic Wordslinger podcast episode. Um, but today on this very special Wordslinger podcast episode, we're going to talk to Brian about data. Um, and, you know... It's funny, and I titled this episode, uh, Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Data? And the the reason is <clears throat> that I, even I sometimes cringe when I start thinking about this deluge of data and how to manage it and how to how to utilize it properly. Uh, it seems like I can't ever get a grip on everything that's out there that would be helpful to me. <clears throat> now, Brian is, um, you know, we mentioned this in the podcast, but he's working on a book centered around um, Kindle, the... the uh, uh, Amazon market ads, <laughs> AMS. I am completely drawing a blank, but the uh, the ads that display on Amazon uh, that you can participate in, <clears throat> and uh, he's he's you know I'm in a group of his that he does mention in the show uh, where he's you know sort of 
running everything through beta. It's going to be remarkable. Uh, it, it's it's kind of cool to get that insight because he's being very successful with these ads. So um, you might be too. Uh, anyway, we're going to get into it. We're almost 12 minutes in. Sorry for that delay. But I hope you enjoy this interview with Brian D. Meeks. And I'll see you on the other side with housekeeping and etc. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Now, I uh, occasionally I'll get a repeat guest on this show. Um, it doesn't happen all that often. But I, when I do, you can count on it being somebody that I really like. And uh, it really enjoy talking to. And today, we're actually going to chat with Brian Meeks. Now, he's an author, but he's also started something kind of cool that we're going to dig in on. I'm going to let him introduce all of that. But first, uh, Brian, welcome back to the show, man. Well, Kevin, I'm pleased to be here. This is all, it was fun the last time. I'm sure it'll be fun again this time. I'm sure it will. <laughs> and uh, so, okay. Um, listeners to the show now i should have i didn't do my due diligence here i didn't go back and find the show number uh so i may have to find that a little later but listeners to the show uh will remember you Uh, one of the quotes one of the things i quoted from you during your last interview was that if you want to reach the next level it's always about the data and you uh live by that principle right i really do and what i remember about the last interview is it happened four or five days after the smarter artist summit and I had decided that I was not going home and so I was on the road when it was time for our interview and we did it over the phone I called in I still remember I mean it was a stretch of a very straight road where I think the speed limit was 80 I just driven through this amazing torrential rainstorm it stopped I mean it, it was so hard that I don't think we could have done it because of the loudness of it, but it stopped in time for the interview. I pulled off into what was uh, a closed gas station and sat there in my car. We did it. And I just, I remember so clearly (laughs) that, that moment, uh, it it was a lot of fun. But yes, to to answer your question, I, I, I spend a lot of time looking at data. I absolutely feel like it's hunting for treasure. There's information in there. If you, dig deep enough and get in the habit of asking the right questions, then you start to come up with answers that can inform you on how you should make decisions, whether it's launching your book or running advertisements, choosing to do a special, all those things can be determined from your data. You know, I am absolutely terrible about, uh, about data. I have to confess. I, I, I want to be that guy. Most people are afraid of it. Most yeah. people don't enjoy data, and this book was an attempt by me with the writing to try to make it less scary. Yeah. The, the feedback has been wonderful as far as the reviews. A lot of people who are filled with trepidation at yeah. the thought of trying to do analysis, maybe they don't – they had bad experience with math in, in their school days. Right. But – it really isn't as scary as most people think once you start to do it a little bit. Yeah. So, okay, you you brought up the book, which we haven't actually mentioned yet. So, what what? Uh, tell me more about the book. The the book is the Prosperous Writer's Guide to Making More Money, which I co-wrote with my author buddy Honoré Quarter. Yeah. Another and former it, guest of the show. <laughs> yes. In it, our goal is to try to bring people to the point where 
they look at the data side of their business and understand that some simple things, seven-day trend lines, yeah. uh, learning about how to actually calculate ROI, that's an area where I see a lot of people do the formula incorrectly. And, and in the book, I, I, I didn't describe the formula as A minus B divided by B, which scares people because it's algebra. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks like algebra if you use variables and so forth. I said, you, you basically take the, the pile of money that you made from the promotion, you subtract the pile of money that you spent, you get that number, and then you divide it by the pile of money that you spent again, and that answer is your return on investment. And so if, the, if, if there's a way to present it that people can then remember the ROI formula, once you remember the formula, it's, it's not scary, and once it's not scary, it's much easier to actually sit down and air quotes. I'm doing air quotes right now. Do the math. Actually, the, though it's not air quotes, it, it is do the math. And yeah. so that's what that's where I'm hoping to bring people along. And the feedback's been great. Yeah, I think um, for some of us, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe I am somewhat afraid of the math because, uh, which is ironic, because I have an engineering background. Math was a big part of my life for a long time, but. That, that, I, that is ironic. It is ironic. <laughs> engineers, I mean, the reason that I have a degree in economics, which is pretty much massive amounts of algebra, is because when I got to the point in calculus where I could find the surface area of a right. donut, right. in my mind, there was nothing worth learning beyond that. That so blew <laughs> my mind. I mean, the shape of a donut, I could figure out the surface area that... Everything after that was I, I just couldn't open up to learning it. Whereas yeah. engineers have to learn that. So you yeah. know a level of mathematics that is even beyond me. No, I wouldn't say I know it. <laughs> 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 I'd say that I could more easily uh, reference it than the average person will say. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so the, and that is a, it's a good point because you know math can be very intimidating. But I, I, for me, it's. Uh, it's not just the math. It's like it's the thought that goes into it. So uh, you have to actually put quite a bit of thought into uh, the strategy of it, uh, like what you're what not only that's the math itself, point. but what you're going to do with it. And so that's what intimidates folks like me, I think. Actually, that is a fantastic point. And I just posted a little bit about this on Facebook. One of the things that I try to teach people is that the art of data analysis is in asking the questions. Yeah. And so if one gets in the habit of, of looking for patterns, and as a species, we are really good at noticing patterns. Right. We, we're driving down the road. We don't look at the, the octagon sign in red and read stop. We see in our peripheral vision that shape, and because we know what it means, we process it. Uh, it, you know, image recognition, pattern recognition is all something that we're naturally very good at. We may not know it; it's just part of our being. And I have a, a great example with Amazon ads. I've, I've done them for a couple of years and had great success with them. About six months into it, and at this point, I was I, I was doing five figures a month, and it was 
95 to 98% being driven by Amazon ads. And I was still looking at the data every single day. And it was six, eight, 10 months into it. I don't remember exactly. But I'm going down through just rows and rows of data. I probably had run 200 ads at that point. And I was just looking at them. And sometimes I will just scroll up and down really quickly so it sort of flashes by like the matrix Mm -hmm. and I I can't focus on one thing and all of a sudden I noticed that my bid for the ads that I was doing which was product display interest that my spend for that never got over 50% of my bid and I thought that was interesting and I had not noticed that in six or eight months and so once, once I started looking at that, and then I went through, and I, it, because it was in Excel, I could uh, create a formula off to the right and found out that none of them had gone over 49.7%. Some of them didn't go over 20%, but that was a really interesting thing. And at the time, I was trying to figure out how do I scale my ads. Yeah. So the question became, if I'm bidding $100, but they're only spending at most $49.70, what if I bid 200? And so I started doing tests and I tested all sorts of different bid ranges and that allowed me to scale much better and in turn you know, have better revenue. It was because I saw that one tiny little pattern, yeah. even though for months and months and months I've been looking at the same data and hadn't seen it. So the, the, the patterns are there. We just need to get in the habit of asking questions. Why is that strange? Right. And, like anything, if you're constantly asking those questions, you'll become better at it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And uh, you know, it's 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 a little frustrating uh, because you know, I, I, I consider myself a fairly intelligent person, but I I am always bombing when it comes to this stuff. When it comes to you know running Facebook ads, I mean, as far as creating the ad, if it's a content creation question, I'm your man. When it comes oh. to the strategy of uh, you know, placing the ads, testing, figuring out what's working, what isn't, that sort of thing. That's when I start to kind of fall, and it's always it always comes back to the data, and it's very frustrating for guys like me because I I I do want to see improvement, and I know the key is there, but I have a real hard time. <laughs> well, again, it's it really is something that doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. There are a lot of things we can learn. As an example, for writing advertising copy, with whether it's Facebook ads or Amazon ads, you want to be concise. You want to constantly test, A-B test, different copy. And one day I was reading on, I think, Copy Blogger, an article, and it talked about these five words that were incredibly powerful for ad copy. Unfortunately, I only wrote down four of them, so one of those words <laughs> is lost to me. But those four, you, because, instantly, and now, I started to test in my advertising. And I would write copy with one or two of those words, mm-hmm. and then I would write nearly identical copy, but substituting in different words, and sure enough, my conversions went up. I, I got better click-through rate. And huh. that's that's a tiny little thing. Right. But that changed the way I did ad copy 
moving forward. In the book, I talk about one's description, and I've tested that, and sure enough, changing my ad copy, changing the length of the paragraphs, having a hook at the beginning, putting praise for above the hook uh, with a couple quotes that I've gotten from uh, readers who will send me letters, or if I see a quote, uh, or I see in a review somewhere, I will reach out to the person and say, I really liked what you said about my book. Thank you so much. Do you mind if I use that in advertising? And, And nobody ever minds. And so making those changes, I then was able to improve my conversion rate, meaning how many people do I have to drive to the description page in order to get one sale or one Kindle Unlimited download because I'm exclusive. Um, And I found that my books went from 1 in 20 to 1 in 30 down to 1 in 6 to 1 in 10. And you know from Facebook advertising, if you're paying per click at, say, 20 cents a click, well, if you spend 30 clicks, that's $6. You only have $3.50 in revenue. You're losing money. If you're spending 20 cents a click and you convert it 1 in 10, now you spend $2. Right. You get $3.50 back. You have $1.50 left over. So that one thing changing my description making it better ad copy putting in the html code so that i've got some bold in there i've got some h2 and h3 headers so that things stand out and none of my paragraphs are over two lines all of those copywriting methods improve the number of people that were willing to give my book a try and that that's again that goes back to data, but you can, you can make the changes if you don't then follow up with the results and really see that, wow, this had a massive impact, then maybe you have, you know, half dozen books and you only changed it on one and you don't realize how much benefit there was to your bottom line because you didn't do any follow up. Right. And so you don't get around to doing the other books. I did the math and this is something I only started changing my descriptions. I think it was back in September of last year. And I had been doing very well for about 15 months prior to that. And I did the math on my improved conversion and I had all my data from, from the ads I had run before. And I went back and I said, if I had had this level of conversion over the past 12 months, what additional revenue did I leave on the table? Again, this goes back to asking questions. Yeah. And the answer was I left $60,000 on the table because I didn't learn how to write a proper description a year earlier. Well, so now, now, now you're making the argument for why I, I might not dig in on the data so that I don't weep over the money I've, I've left behind. Well, that, 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 you know, some people are uh, pessimists, they're optimists, but I look at it like I was, oh, you know, $60,000, that's a lot of money. Yeah. But I plan to live a long time. Yeah. And my books are going to be out there. And I'm much, I, I was thrilled to see that that change had such a big impact because it doesn't, I don't dwell on the $60,000 loss. I think about, okay, over the next year, 
I should have that much more growth. Yeah. And what about the next 10 years? And the 10 to 20 hours I spent redoing my descriptions compared to half a million dollars over 10 years, $600,000 over 10 years, right. with the growth of my books, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it means a million dollars for that 20 hour investment. But right. again, the person who doesn't do the follow-up, they may, they may hear this podcast. I'm sure lots of people hear this podcast. They may go in, maybe they give the book a read and they change their description and they assume, okay, it's better. But if they don't dig in enough to really understand the impact, they may not focus on copywriting properly right. down the road, or they may you know, blow off their next description, just mail it in. And you know, for me, I now I take the copywriting incredibly seriously because I know the value to my bottom line. So yeah, yeah, and. Uh... Now, I mean, you're talking my language, of course, when you start on copywriting and, and tweaking messaging and that sort of thing. But um, what's impressive uh, in what you do is how you are tracking that and testing it. And these are things that, as a marketer, you know, we're told from day one. I, I try very hard to live up to that. And I do that for, you know, draft to digital and uh, clients and, and others. I'm just terrible about doing it for me. Uh, and I'm not that hot at doing it for anyone else either. I'm just, I'm not going <laughs> to let anyone. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to anybody, but um, anyway. So you now something else that you're you've got in the mix right now. You're working on a. Uh, I don't know. Are, are you prepared to talk about the uh, the new oh, project? Yes. Okay, absolutely. So you are working on something uh, coming out. Why, why don't we talk about that a little? I don't want to spoil anything that you don't want to give away. So I'll let you talk about what you want to talk about. <laughs> there, there is nothing that can be spoiled. Okay. I have this book that maybe three or four weeks ago I thought was finished yeah and so I I started mentioning when people would ask questions in groups on Facebook relating to Amazon ads I would try to answer their questions because I again three or four weeks ago thought I had finished a book which is now titled mastering Amazon ads an author's guide mm -hmm. and it is about how to get started in Amazon ads, how to scale the dealing with copy, all the different components that I've used to turn. I've spent, and, and this is, again, this data is about a month old. I haven't recalculated it, but a month ago or so ago, I had spent over two years, $38,000 on Amazon ads. Yeah. And that had yielded an Excess of 150,000 in revenue from sales and KU page reads, yeah. which is a really, uh, you know, a fine return on investment, and it, it's changed my life. I mean, that it's the ads that are the reason that I'm a full-time author. Yeah. So, I started a group on Facebook, and because when I was answering these questions in these other groups, people were asking if they could be part of my beta team, and so I decided to create a group, a closed group on Facebook, all authors are, are welcome. There is one caveat to joining, and I'll, I'll explain that in a moment. And so people started reaching out to me, and because I love Excel and data, every time somebody said they'd like to be a beta reader, I put their name in a little Excel file. I did that for about a week and had 80 or 90 people that were interested, and yeah. so I created this group, and again, anybody can find it on 
Facebook is called Mastering Amazon Ads, colon, an author's guide, dash, beta. And so I then started reaching out to these people and said, hey, do you want to be part of this group? But there's one requirement. I'm going to give you the book. I'm going to give you an Excel tool for analyzing the data. The Excel tool is being developed. It'll have problems. We'll fix them. Eventually, we'll get there. But for that, you all have to promise to buy the book when it comes out in pre-order. It's going to be priced at $9.99. And nobody has had a problem with spending the $9.99. I think everybody's enthused and sees the potential. Because, again, you know, $10, if it can change your life, isn't a, a horrible investment by any right. means. What has been interesting about the group is that I have come up with additional chapters. I, I wrote 3,900 words yesterday just on the subject of book description because one doesn't realize sort of the masses level of knowledge until you're right. re really interacting with them. And now there's 250 people in the group. And so the amount of feedback from the, I call it, I call it a lab because it isn't as much about beta reading and finding my mistakes with comma usage. I, I know all the comma rules, but that doesn't mean that when I have two independent clauses separated by conjunction that I necessarily remember the comma. Yeah. That, that's not the point. The point is to see what it takes to get people from zero experience with Amazon ads into running them effectively. And I've learned from the feedback that everybody in the world is doing Amazon ads differently than me. Yeah. And so many of them are losing money at it and have no idea because they don't look at the data. They, right. they, they run an ad, they bid a price, they see sales go up, they never do the math, and they're so excited about their success. And then I've gotten on the phone with a half dozen people who, because again, there's this Excel tool that's somewhat extensive, and we start looking at their data, and, and they're, they're losing huge amounts of money on Amazon ads because of the way they're approaching it and yeah. not going back through and doing a follow-up. And that's in part because a sale we make today we don't see the money for two months. And right. so because of that, that gap in time, if you're not a natural data person and most aren't because of that gap in time, when they do get the money and they don't go back and look, well, how much money did I spend in January for the money I'm getting at the end of March? Yeah. And that dis that disconnect is causing people to not be running it profitably. And so, that, that's that's the group, and again, anybody is welcome to join as long as they understand that. Yes, I am going to ask that you spend the you know the nine ninety nine on the book for the pre order. And one, the reason I'm doing that, I think is interesting as well. It's not as much about the money, though. I certainly will be thrilled to make seven dollars, you know, from each sale. It's that doing the pre-order launch the way I'm doing it. And we actually had a conversation a week or so ago when I wanted to get your feedback on whether I should go yeah. wide with Amazon ads book and, and your 
your analysis and feedback was fantastic, and I, I think I'm going to take your advice. Good. And so, but what it's going to allow me to do is run a launch where I have control of now 250 potential sales. And I'm sure some people may not come through for me, but a large enough group that I can answer a question I've had for about six months now. Does Amazon now weight the value of each sale based on its price as it relates to ranking? Mm -hmm. I know two or three years ago, we we all, there, there was a, in the appendix of, and I'm forgetting the author's name, but it was, I think the, the book Let's Get Visible, mm -hmm. um, he, he talks about the, he has a chart in the back that shows if you have X amount of sales, approximately where your book will land Amazon ranking wise overall. Right. And that chart I have used for years now, I don't remember when his book came out, 2013 sometime, and yeah. it is... It has been incredibly accurate. I love being able to use that to predict. And then about oh, six, seven months ago, I noticed a disparity between the ranking of a book that I had at 499 and a launch by Honoré of one of her new books at 99 cents. And again, talking about looking at patterns, I was looking at the number of sales she had on day one and then the number of sales she had on day two and where her ranking was and comparing that to my book Underwood Scotch and Rye that had had a good run for 10 days where it had been ranked between uh, 520 and 980 for a span of 10 days. So I had a lot of data on that yeah. and I watched her ranking with this launch that went really well and had an enormous amount of sales. And then where my ranking was over that time with vastly fewer sales, and the only conclusion that I could draw was that now there was a waiting component. And again, I can't prove it, but if I have 250 sales, then I'm going to be able to ask the people in the group I'm going to put people into, say, say five groups. And so you're a part of the group, Kevin. You might be in group C. And when I put up the, the pre-order, I will say, okay, people in group C, I would like you to buy the book on Thursday, please. And just send me a message and let me know when it's done. And doing that for all five groups, I will have a very controlled launch. Hmm. And I'm thinking of actually asking for volunteers who would be willing to spend an extra dollar because I have a novel that has been done and just waiting to launch for like two months, but I haven't gotten around to it. And I may do a pre-order at the same time for Beautiful Gears and launch it at 99 cents. And if I could get, you know, like say 50 people that were willing to spend the extra dollar, mm -hmm. then I would adjust my strategy and I would have, say, spread those people out over five days, have everybody buy... 10 copies of the book, of each book, and then I would have five days worth of data where I have 10 sales a day yeah. at 99 cents and 10 sales at 9.99. In theory, if those rankings should be nearly similar, obviously they won't be the same number, but it, yeah, if they're both launched, they should be nearly identical, and I don't think they will be. I think the 9.99 book will do vastly better. Hmm. If I can prove that, then 
that absolutely changes the way people should choose to launch their books now. Because right. if it's weighted, like I think, where a 999 book is worth, say, one ranking point, and a 99 cent book is worth one tenth of a ranking point, and it may be something in yeah. between, I don't know. But that that really changes the approach to launching because I've asked so many people and I say, what is your goal with the launch? Why did you launch at 99 cents? And ultimately it comes down to they want to get a higher ranking so they get more exposure to organic traffic. Right. That that traffic that is beyond our sphere of influence, which is the exact right attitude. But if it turns out now that selling fewer books at a launch of two ninety nine or four ninety nine gives you a better ranking than the fact that you're making vastly more profit yeah. aside, I mean, that becomes irrelevant. Now the relevant point is to reach your goal of obtaining the highest ranking for the longest period of time. To do that, you no longer need to do the 99 cent launch. You need to do the 499 launch. Order. But again, uh, you know, anybody listening right now, I don't have that data. Yeah, it hasn't been proven but, out yet. But I will say yeah. this. I would gladly pay nine ninety nine for your book in order to get at least that kind of data. So, as a from well, then, that perspective, it's an well, investment. Would you spend the extra ninety nine cents to be a part of the test where I launch? No, I draw the, the line. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, I would definitely. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean, extra ninety nine cents. I mean, come on. You know, I'd probably spend an extra ten bucks if it if it came down to it. So, yeah, I would. I will. I, I, I think most people will. The people in the group, I've gotten so many messages from people saying that, you know, they're uh, they love it and they're they're thrilled with the nine ninety nine and as price too low, and, and, and I don't care about that. <laughs> Ultimately, there there's so much value yeah. in in what I'm learning from the group that this going this going to make me more more profit for my own books. So right, right. it isn't, isn't a one-way street by any stretch of the imagination. People ask questions. People are testing things. Again, helping people understand how their tests are going or if they should try one thing or the other, that by me helping them, I've gotten so many ideas. A, I've probably gotten another seven to 10,000 words for the book. Right. And I'm not even done. I have a list of chapters that I intend to write all because of feedback from the group and so that you know yes i'm getting the 9.99 or the seven dollars from the sale but also i'm getting i'm getting a better book out of the deal and so i really right. think this is going to be quite uh, a good work at the end of the day and uh you know we're, we're gonna find out we'll see how it goes yeah no but, i i agree but, i think um <laughs> i think it's something necessary because frankly uh, Amazon's ad system is is somewhat new. I mean, it's it's been around for what a couple of years now, right? Not not long, right? No, it, it, it isn't that long. And the reporting, I love Amazon. Yeah. I, I'm absolutely. They have changed my life, but their reporting has a couple of weak areas. It drives me nuts that the KDP reporting, when you download your data in an Excel format, yeah. their date is taxed. Now, the beautiful thing about Excel and why Excel is such a powerful tool is that dates are not actually dates. They're, most people don't know this, 
But if you take a date, you type in the date and you hit enter, and then you go back and you reformat it to a number, you'll get something in the neighborhood of 48,000 and something. And that's the number of days since January 1st, oh. 1900. And because when we see a date in Excel, you know, it's in the date format that, that we want, whether it's long or short or what have you, we, we don't realize that there's that number behind it. So it's really just a number. Because it's a number, it means you can do math on it, which yeah. has a lot of applications for data analysis. And Amazon, in their reporting, when you download that report, it's not really data. It's this text of the date, which means I can't subtract one day from another. And so I have to build a conversion table to convert March 15th 2017 into the proper number and it's incredibly annoying but again I mean if that's the worst of their problems and then create space they also an Amazon company their date is not just I mean it really is Excel date but it's even better it's the Excel date with a timestamp so GP gives you this useless date Create space gives you a timestamp. If if one had a lot of print sales, mm-hmm. you could go with Create Space and take all of your data and do amazing things and actually see if something you've done changes the sales from one to two in the afternoon. I mean, it's it's incredible. It made me as a data person giddy. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I bet. Your point is correct. It, there are there are issues with the system that hopefully they'll fix. But you know, if not, again, there are workarounds, and that's why I built yeah. the Excel tool. And uh, hopefully that that will be helpful to people. Yeah. I should say that somebody listening now is thinking about joining the group. You're more than welcome. The Excel tool is a wonderful thing. One aspect that I've learned is most people it seems that our authors have an Apple MacBook of some sort. Right. Is I have an Apple, Apple MacBook, but I also have a PC desktop. I have a PC laptop. I have two iPads. I have, I have lots of tech stuff, but I do all my data things on the PC because PCs just handle massive amounts of formulas in Excel better than Apple. As an example, when I hit update on this tool, it takes three to five seconds to transfer the data and do all the changes that need to happen. Yeah. On an Apple, it can take five minutes. And I, I just mm. wanted to mention that somebody listening goes and joins the group, and then I hit approve, and they download the tool, and they start putting their data in. When they do, it's going to seem like their Apple has crashed, but it hasn't. They just never had to wait five minutes for the results. Now, once you get everything in, it runs a bit better. But uh, you know, just I wanted people to be I'll aware. Have to keep and that if in mind. you have two computers and one of them's a PC, you may do ninety-eight percent of the things in your life on the Apple. Huh. But if you have access to the PC for the data, it'll make things vastly. Better. I wonder if it would help to import it into to uh, Google. No. <laughs> and you uh, no. We t- well, <laughs> no? No, that, that doesn't help. Okay. Um, somebody that has used uh, open source successfully. Yeah. So one can do that, though 
uh, I don't believe we saw any speed benefit when using the the open source on the MacBook Air. Interesting. Uh, again, again, it's it is unfortunate. You know, I like my MacBook. It just is designed for video. It's designed for audio. It's designed yeah. for is, and it doesn't do this one thing well. And so, ultimately, my hope would be that if people start using this tool enough, and if I sell enough copies of the book, maybe I can afford, and I don't know if it would be five, ten, twenty-five thousand dollars, but to build an application that does the same thing, right. you know, some sort of subscription service. Uh, yeah, that that's I just have too many things going on right now to do that. But if I did, I think it would make it a lot easier for people. But we're getting well off off topic now. <laughs> right. Well, so we're. My life. <laughs> I hear you, man. Um, and we're we're at the end. I mean, we're, we're we've we've run up against our time. But uh, you know, everything you have said has made me uh, slightly nauseated. Um, and oh. uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Poor Kevin doesn't like data. You know what's funny? Here's what's funny. I actually do like data, and I'm actually pretty good with data. When it's, once I drill down into it, it's not. It's a little bit like okay. I'm going to approach it from the same uh, sense of discipline as approaching writing. Right, because you know when someone decides they want to be an author, they got to develop that daily discipline of sitting down and, and doing the work, and sometimes yeah. that's very hard. But it's it's got its benefit. I think this is the same. I think that we're all intelligent enough to do it. It intimidates us, and so we drag our feet. But if we yeah. were to sit down with discipline and and apply ourselves to it, I think it would become easier. One for uh, first of all. <laughs> And then yes. it would benefit us so greatly that we'd come to love it. So I, I, I'm, I'm saying that out loud because I'm chastising myself for not being more data centric. So I'll have well, you to. Uh, post, you wrote a post today on word count, yeah, and and doing just that. It, you, that you posted on Facebook. I don't know if you'll post yeah. it anywhere else, but you should post it somewhere else uh, because it was it was very good. I think it made a lot of great points, and you should post it someplace. And put a link in your show notes so I people should do that. See, see that post because it was fantastic. And you touched on two things that I absolutely loved towards the end where you talked about developmental editing yeah. and <clears throat> the uh, doing rewrites. Yeah. And I agree with you 100%. Yeah. I just don't see value in developmental editing, and I hope this doesn't get me hate mail. <laughs> I know. I'm, I, I, I was half afraid. I buried that at the end of the post so, yeah. <laughs> so that people might yeah. not see it. <laughs> the, the thing is, I had one experience with a, a woman I didn't know very well, but she reached out to me, I think, on Google+, and wanted me to read something of her book, and I, I told her, like I generally do, well, you know, send me the first page because I'm not going to read – you know, your twenty thousand. Yeah. That's, that's you where have I land. Far. Yeah. And she did, and I read it, and it, it, it was it was pretty decent. She was it was her first book, and I gave her some pointers, and then actually ended up reading a bit more. And I, I read I don't know four or five thousand words, and then she started doing a rewrite. And the next one, maybe one percent better. She she took some of my advice. There was some echoing where she would use the same word to start off a sentence twice in a row right. and she cleaned up some of that. So it was it was a little better, but that wasn't really developmental. Then she started doing rewrites. Yeah. And I about every other week I would get 
the same thing, and I would read the first four or five thousand words, and she she went through seven versions, and from version three on, it got progressively worse each time. Yeah, and I get it through her head, but the lore of Ernest Hemingway, you know, rewriting something twenty, forty times makes people think that rewriting is the key and it gets taught in school. Yeah. Professors say that. But if you'd sit down and read Hemingway, you'd realize that it doesn't matter if you rewrite you know well some forty times and it turns out horrible. Right. I mean, let's be honest, he's the worst writer to have ever lived. It was a Shut joke up. anyway. It wasn't he was uh... He wasn't oh, serious. Yeah, yeah. When he was, he was just messing with people, uh, basically. Because he, he uh, famously, he he was known for turning out one draft of a news story or whatever, and he would hand it over, and that was the work. Uh, same with his books, and then people kept asking him the same questions over and over again, and so he finally just started telling people, "Yeah, I write like you know thirty or forty drafts," and because he wanted oh. people to to suffer. <laughs> Okay. See, I, I I wrote a book called Killing Hemingway, yeah. which is not about Hemingway at all. It's a metaphor. But in writing that, I I've, I've read I've read most of the stuff he's written, including I have this huge volume of his letters, like over right. his lifetime. And so I've read a lot of Hemingway, and I've always thought, you know, he he would be decent to hang out with. He's fun at parties. Uh, he was a <laughs> terrible misogynist. But boy, his um, Oh, what is what is the book? I, I liked Old Man in the Sea, yeah. But there, there's the one um, where he's the ambulance driver in the oh, war. Uh, 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 oh my goodness! You had uh, to bring it up. Uh, just, it's the worst book ever. It is yeah. so bad. And in the movie Silver Silver Linings Playbook, yeah, it, it's that book that he finishes and throws out the window. Yeah, and so if people, if anybody ever posts on Facebook or social media that they've gotten a one star review and they're feeling feeling bad, it's hurt their feelings. I tell them, go read the one star reviews for Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> right, they are they're brutally they're mean. Right. I mean, I don't like Hemingway. I wouldn't write some of that stuff. They're funny, and. They're better written than anything Hemingway's ever written. And so <laughs> I'm really interested though that he didn't rewrite things 40 times, but everybody believes it. I know professors tell people yeah. that, oh, the first draft is always crap. I, yes, I, I've rewritten, I rewrote a scene in one of my books, but most of my books are one draft and to the editor. Yeah. And well, look, there's editors, nothing wrong with going back through your draft and reading and doing a bit of, of touch rewriting here and there or whatever to to you know to bring it up uh but it's not it's not about rewrites and then well whatever there's a whole other topic and we could go, i could go on for quite a while but, <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it's absolutely true yeah. and i i think most people if they go with their gut instinct and have a reason for putting something in the book then they're probably right yeah and so you know i i just i, I don't do the rewrites now that being said i I have a great team of editors and yeah. those two editors, I trust them enough where in one for my science fiction series, he suggested that I change 
the rankings to naval, which makes sense. Everybody in science fiction does that. I just hadn't thought about it. Right. And so I made that change. But that's not the same as rewriting or adding a whole new character or anything like that. So, uh, yeah. yes. The thing about talking with you, Kevin, is I could spend eight hours chatting with you because when we're on the phone, this is what happens. Yeah. I, yeah. I reach out to you and say, hey, I need five minutes at the time. And an hour <laughs> later, still rambling on so i right. apologize no 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 that's 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 fine man if i'm gonna if i'm gonna be known for anything I, that's fine by me i'm i'm fine being known for for being chatty uh so, hey you'd be proud of me by the way i that talking about that word count you know i some time ago you uh, a couple of years ago i think i started keeping um a spreadsheet of um, uh, my yeah. writing times right so and it, it's kind of it's it's sort of hybrid hybridized a bit because I have a little notes column and I try to keep it to like one or two lines. But, um, so I have the date and then I'll have like starting count end count, you know, and then I'll have it calculate my totals as I go, you know, and I have my start time end time and now to, to calculate direct duration. And I make a note about that day. So this, what's funny about this is I do the data analysis that I could do on ads on my writing, but I don't do it on anything else. So I need to just transfer this over. <laughs> and, and, and you would find it is it is absolutely similar to what you're already doing. Yeah. Let me ask you this: on, on when you put in the time, are you using the Excel date stamp, like start time, end time, and then letting it do the math down to like the nearest hundredth second? Yes, I do actually. Yeah, yeah. That, that's fantastic. I created and a so, whole column that's nothing but the duration of of that writing set is that uh, that does session see that that is something that i have done that periodically in the past and when i've done it i found that yes my 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 words per minute or words per hour or i actually tend to write in 15 minute chunks yeah my word per 15 minute chunks goes up but also i get the added benefit of i so enjoy the gamification yeah. of the task right where when i am keeping that data it, it's uh, you know what I, i've done three 15 minute sessions today and i'm bored do i want to watch tv no i'd really like to do another one and see if i can beat it right. and so just the act of measuring makes me write more or right. in the case of ads the act the act of you know, tracking my ads i will create more ads because of the gamification of it because yeah, it, it gives you more um, more data to play with, more data to play with. Yeah, I, yeah. You've established. Yeah, I'm there you data. go. So I'm I'm not afraid of data after all. I just need to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got we got to the root root of the uh, problem, and yeah. now you you come out on the other side, and, and I don't think. Do you feel like there's going to be any lasting psychological scars from this, Maybe. this transformation? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk offline. I'll talk you down from the ledge if I have to. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, uh, let's. We're gonna go ahead and wrap up. Uh, thanks so much for being on the show, man. I do appreciate it. Uh, thanks for coming back. Uh, I, love, I hope one day I can do something else worthwhile to get another. You're shot doing plenty. I'm, you're doing plenty. I, well, 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 I'm gonna keep watching what you do, and, and uh, of course, you know, you're, you're always welcome back on, man. You know that. If, you know, if, if the launch. If my launch strategy goes well and we learn something yeah. about the ranking, I mean, I think that's... That's, that's a show. whole other project right there, yeah. Also, you know, I'm pretty excited because, as we mentioned, I'm going to go wide with this Amazon-specific book. 
and try out draft digital and i think that'll be fun to talk about as well so yeah there you go all right we got well, a lot of stuff thank a lot you so of stuff, much I, hey thank you and uh for everybody else listening how you hang out for just a second and you'll get the wrap-up of this episode but be sure to check the show notes where you're going to find links to well i'm going to i'm going to track these down because brian didn't give them to me this time but the uh links to like his website twitter handles facebook pages anything that i can find on the guy you'll be able to find there and uh otherwise thanks thanks so much for being on brian hey thank you much all right all right that was brian meeks brian d meeks and uh he is uh his website uh, always cracks me up it's extremely average <laughs> i just think that's hilarious um anyway so brian um uh, good guy and he and i have met uh we met at the uh, smarter artist summit uh speaking of that if you haven't been to the smarter artist summit uh you know we just went this last year actually draft digital sponsored this past uh the 2017 summit and uh it was fantastic as just as the first one was um i mean i'm kind of curious to see how things go uh going forward with that that conference you know it's really a great excuse for all these uh, authors who who know each other through various circles uh, to come together it's almost like a family reunion in that in that sense you know we uh, we hung out in uh, you know, the hotel we were in and I can't remember the name of the hotel sorry Austin uh, it's in Austin Texas though we hung out there and we were able to kind of walk and get a burger and uh, you know get coffee and get you know whatever whatever the accoutrements of uh, being in that space uh, would be I went up in the RV. <laughs> in fact, I've done that two years in a row. I was in the first year I was in the um, the A liner, um, and it was a much smaller RV, which I kind of wish we you know we're gonna. I don't know if anyone remembers this or have even talked about this, but you know we're no longer living full time in the uh, the thirty eight foot rig. Um, so uh, I have been taking it to you know uh, book signings and conferences and that sort of thing, but. It's a little bit on the cumbersome side, so we're gonna we're gonna sell that and get something smaller that's just meant for, you know, getting on the road, taking road trips, going, you know, on writing retreats and, you know, conferences and things uh, with, uh, you know, a little less hassle. <laughs> it's kind of fun to uh, to have something smaller. Um, so anyway, we're gonna do that. But if you have questions about that, I'm happy to answer them. I uh, it's it was just you know we. We have changed directions a little uh, with our lives as far as how we approach um, the, uh, you know, the RV stuff and travel because we are traveling more uh, by air. So, and to different places. Kara goes one direction, I go to another, and uh, we we're frequently spending weeks away from each other. Actually, so it really made no sense to keep the RV at that point because you know one or the other of us was would be somewhere else in the country. And, you know, we kept having to hightail it back to Houston every now and then. So we just decided to home base. Uh, and there are other changes uh, afoot, which I will talk about at a, at a later date. Um, nothing you need to be concerned about, of course. It's just, you know, that's what life is. We're having a good time and enjoying what we're doing. And uh, new opportunities keep opening up. It's just, it's been, uh, it's been just remarkable. But uh, in regard to this episode... Um, I really appreciate you tuning in. Now, this is uh, this is where I've decided that the housekeeping uh, portion of the show will live, uh, and I try to add a little something so that you have an excuse to stick around. Uh, but I, I got tired of uh, taking up like 
the first 10 minutes of the show with stuff all about me uh, or all about the, you know, give me money or something along those lines. I didn't want to do that anymore. I'd rather just talk to you. Um, but here, uh, if you would like to support the show, here are ways that you can do that. And, uh, and I appreciate the people who are supporting the show. First of all, um, you can reach out to me uh, with questions. Anytime you like, you can call me at 281-809-WORD. That's 281-809-9673. Or if you go to wordslingerpodcast.com, you can click on the Send Voicemail tab that floats along the right-hand side of the screen. Leave me a voicemail. I think it's about a minute of record recording time. Um, so you'll have to be a little organized about how you do it. But uh, I'll play these on the air unless you tell me otherwise. Uh, I've gotten some great comments from people in the past. Another way to, to uh, help the show is if you'll review it. Uh, go on iTunes, check out their, uh, you know, they have their whole uh, uh, review system, star system, that sort of thing. Uh, if you'll go find that and uh, leave me a review and, you know, maybe four or five stars, that would be greatly appreciated. Um, those reviews help people discover the show. And, you know, the show is built around the idea of providing a service to the world, uh, helping authors and entrepreneurs, giving you some background, uh, sort of the behind the scenes story about uh, how, you know, these people met their success and their philosophies uh, on both career and life. And, you know, I find these things both inspiring and, and immensely helpful. I mean, this show has changed my life in more ways than I can count. Uh, I mentioned that I've been at draft to digital for a year. Those guys discovered me through Wordslinger podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, all the good things in my life, uh, right now in my life and career can be traced back to this show. So for that, I'm grateful. I'm really grateful to you for listening. Um, and grateful to you for sharing with, uh, the people that you care about. That's another way you can help support the show, by the way, is to just send people our way. Um, send links to the show, send links to episodes you enjoy. Um, if you do review the show somewhere on iTunes or Stitcher or Google play or anywhere else, uh, on your own blog, even uh, wherever you might be, uh, talking up the show, social media or whatever, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, First of all, that's, I'm so grateful for that, and I so appreciate it. Uh, and it, it it helps people to, to find this resource, you know? It shows people that other people care. That's the social proof, right? It, it shows people that other people get some value out of it, and that's the whole point. So thank you for that. I hope, hope you uh, will consider doing that uh, if you're not already. If you go on to wordslingerpodcast.com, you can also uh, click on the contact button and leave me a voicemail. Uh, you can ask me anything you like. You can ask a question for one of my guests. Uh, if you leave me a voicemail, or and I think I said voicemail when I'm an email, uh, but if you leave me a voicemail or email, uh, you know, and uh, unless you say otherwise, I'm going to read and share that on air. So uh, it could be a, a little bit of a like 15 minutes of fame kind of thing, but you know for the most part your your question may help someone else and <laughs> may answer a question someone else has. So uh, if you uh, if you go do that, you could be doing a service to your fellow authors and entrepreneurs and human beings. So um, other things you can do to support the show. Honestly, I have a Patreon campaign which some people do contribute to, and I'm I'm just very grateful to to you for that. So if you will uh, pop into wordslingerpodcast.com and click that Patreon logo, you can you know give me a buck or two a month. I mean, you now I 
Haven't anyone? Haven't had anyone pop in with like here's twenty or thirty dollars a month yet? But uh, there's always there's always a hope. <laughs> and every dime that comes to me through uh, Patreon, it gets earmarked for um, improvements, basically, to the show. Uh, I buy new equipment. I pay. For, I, I might start paying for some advertising for the show. There's uh, all kinds of plans. Right now, all that stuff comes out of my pocket. Uh, but I have used. Funds in the past that have come to me to uh, to do little improvements, uh, pay for hosting, pay for you know all the things that go into the uh, the overhead of the show essentially. So I appreciate that support, but there is a bigger, better way in my eyes <laughs> for you to support me, and this is personal. Uh, if you go to wordsongerpodcast.com or kevintomlinson.com, they're the same site. Go to those pages and click on books, and then go buy and review. Um, any of the books that are on the, that page and then that will support me a great deal i appreciate that i love finding new readers uh if you read something and you don't like it i understand i would humbly ask that you don't uh that you don't post that review <laughs> if you don't like it but i don't mind if you do i've got some negative reviews out there for the most part i get positive reviews every now and then i get somebody who um, has decided that i am a talentless hack um and that's fine. That's fine. Life is all about, you know, balancing that sort of thing. So if you got to, you got to understand you be you. Um, but uh, that is a great way to support me, not only financially, but, you know, reviews in particular help people find my books. And so that helps me continue my author career. And that's the priority of my life, honestly. Uh, as much as I love draft to digital uh, they're fully aware of this. Uh, you know, the writing comes first for me and uh, always has. Now, thankfully... Um, things work out very well so that the writing and the work I do for draft to digital complement each other greatly. So uh, it's there's no conflict whatsoever there. Uh, however, if I got to choose, sorry guys. <laughs> anyway, oh, hi. Speaking of uh, books, man, I got an announcement. Uh, hopefully, you stuck around to hear this. Um, my new book, uh, The Devil's Interval my newest Dan Kotler thriller and that releases officially on July 28th so uh, you can pre-order that right now and then otherwise uh, you'll be able to get that book when it releases on that day Friday July 28th so I am uh, I'm really excited about this one this is this is a good book I'm telling you I've I, I put a lot of work into this one uh, polished it a little more than I usually do actually um, and uh, it turned out great. So feedback on it has been fantastic as well. So I hope you'll enjoy that. And uh, I thank you so much for your support and your your this outpouring of love that I get from you guys all the time. God bless each and every one of you. I hope you have a safe and happy weekend. And uh, I'll see you. Uh, I'm coming up on a whole bunch of events, so I hope to see all of you soon. So take care, and I'll talk to you next time.